Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Life is short, break the rules. Forgive quickly, kiss slowly. Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably and never regret anything that makes you smile. There are great quotes from American history, and then there are Mark Twain quotes. There are great writers from American history, and then there's Mark Twain. An astonishing and profound author whose collection of works impacted U.S. history as much as the commentary he was making on it. From his humble upbringing to his amazing journey through life, the chapters of his days read like one of his groundbreaking, iconic stories, and in the process, gives us our new episode format for 2024, The Missing Chapter Profile, Samuel Langhorn Clemens. Some of what you may have known, and lots of what you don't know, about one of our nation's most cherished storytellers. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome, everybody, to the Missing Chapter Podcast. It's the Phils. We're back at it again. Here's another episode. Uh, Phil, we are recording this, uh, let's see, what's today? December 15th. This will be airing mid-January, late January, possibly even the first week of February, depending on how our schedule goes. Uh, right now, the, the sun is shining. Um, I'm hoping when this airs, it'll still be shining. That would be nice. Unfortunately, I know there's probably going to be a foot and a half of snow in this airs uh, sometime late January to February. But before we get to this great episode, because we do have a new feature of the missing chapter here today that we're going to introduce, before we do that, let's talk some coffee. Mm. Now, we're still in this holiday blend of Utica Coffee Roasting Company. It is one of my favorites. They brought it back. Uh, We've talked about it before. Um, in the past couple episodes, and it's just, it's so hard not to go back to it because it's so flavorful, and it brings you the Christmas spirit. Yeah, Phil, and, and you know, just to, to give everyone an idea, listening at home, and we brew our own coffee right in our classroom. Yes. So we have a nice little setup. We have a table with, with a wide assortment of creamers and coffees. We have our coffee pot. We have people that we look forward to every day that come in and grab themselves a cup of coffee, and we, we're able to see and converse with it's nice. It's it's what we want this to be in a podcast. Coffee creates and is part of that, just bringing people together. I saw someone and wearing a shirt, been. and I think we're gonna have to maybe add this to yeah. our merchandise. I didn't. I don't remember any any fireside chat starting over you know a glass of water. That's it, right? So right. I mean, that that's one of those things. It's a it's a shared experience to bring everybody together. I think one of the things we posted on social media a while ago was that you know gossip happens around a water cooler. Good stories are what happens around the coffee machine. You just, that is the, that's, there you just changed the, the merch it, for right? 2024. 
There it so, is. Oh my gosh. Hopefully people listening to that are like uh, listening to this are like, you know what? I'd like that on a t-shirt. I'd like that, that on a t-shirt. Yeah. That's you yeah. must have posted that on Facebook and I I did a while ago. Wow. I'm impressed yeah. now. That's the I first time I'm it. hearing it. Jeez. Yeah. Um all right, so listen, for the for this episode, I think this is a brilliant idea. You you approached me about this and of course I said, you know, enthusiastic yes. Uh this is this is a new element of the missing chapter. I think we're always trying to bring new stories, new topics, new people. And this is one where it's a very, very common name. And I think that's one of the things that we love about talking history is that yes, we have these these huge major events, huge major figures in history, but do we know the inner workings of these figures? And we're gonna do that in the missing chapter profile. Right. The people themselves, it's what they did, their actions, it's what they produced, in this case their literary works, but it's really, Phil, what it comes down to at the very core, it's the people themselves that are the history. Yeah. And and as I looked into this first person, the um you know, the pilot, so to speak, for our uh, Missing Chapter profile. This person is such a well-known individual in American history. But at the same time, I'm reading stuff and I'm like, you know, this is unbelievable. No, I wonder if people know this about him. So you know his name, you know his work, you know him at his surface, but his story is as good as any book that he's written. Yeah, it's that's, phenomenal. That's a really good point. I, I got to tell you, right before the red light came on of our, of our microphone, you were you were just chatting up certain yeah. things about this guy. And I'm like, come on, what? I said, you got to wait for the the mic to turn on. I I mean, it, it was it was one of those shock moments where you're like, how how do we not know this? So I know we say this all the time, but right. There's one thing in particular that you're referencing, and I'll let everyone know when I get to it in the story. I'll be like, this is what I shared with Phil right before we went on. <laughs> all right, this take it good. away. So Samuel Langhorn Clemens, Phil, uh, better known as Mark Twain, was born two months prematurely. Wow. Two months prematurely, November 30th, 1835. Isn't he, was, that he was born in a tiny town in Missouri called Florida. So Florida, Missouri. He was sickly. He was frail. It was hit or miss as to whether or not he was going to live or pass right up into the age of seven years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, he was the sixth of seven children, only three of whom survived into adulthood. <laughs> so, I mean, let, let's start right off the bat. Oh, That's my. amazing. Like, if he had passed away, think about all the, the literary works that we would never have, you know, been exposed to. And I got thinking, it was like, his stories are really so instrumental in us knowing American history about regions and about those time periods. So even though they're, they're fiction... The way he wrote them and the fact that he was immersed in these areas, in these time periods, writing about what was going on around him, he's, he's essentially documenting history. Wow. That's the kind yeah. of way I felt yeah. about him. And so in 1839, he was four. His, Clemens's father, a guy by the name of John Marshall, was a self-educated lawyer who had a huge resume of, of different things he got involved with. So even though he's a self-educated lawyer, he ran a general store. He eventually moved his family to the, uh, another town in Missouri called Hannibal in search of better business opportunities. And the reason that's important is because when his son, uh, Samuel, would go on to write popular novels, you know, through The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, he um, based them in a fictionalized version of Hannibal. Uh, John Marshall Clemens, he became later a justice of the peace in Hannibal. But one of the things that really marred um, Samuel's early life was a struggle financially by the by the family and his father in general. And when Samuel Clemens was only 11, his 49-year-old father died of pneumonia. 
Oh, jeez. So from there, you, you think of Mark Twain, you think of the, the contributions he made in writing, you'd think he would have some sort of a very strict formal education. Right. You know, he would have gone to uh, maybe a private school or at least, you know, been educated, you know, well into his teens. Not the case at all. In 1848, the year after his father's death, um, Clemens actually went to work, went to work <laughs> full time. And uh, he was still in Hannibal and he worked as an apprentice at a printer uh, as a printer uh, apprentice at a newspaper. Uh, three years later, 1851, he moved over to a site, uh, typesetting job all right, at a local paper owned by his older brother, Orion. And eventually, this is his segue into writing. Um, he eventually penned a handful of short uh, items for the publication. That's a job you don't hear in 2023 right. and 24, right? Typesetting? Uh, typesetting? Yeah. But it's even though it's not a formal education, it's exposing him to the field that he would eventually make his mark in, and uh, he starts writing, you know, items for this newspaper. 1853, uh, he's 17 years old. He leaves Hannibal, and spends the next several years, you know, really traveling the United States, anywhere from New York City to Philadelphia to Iowa, um, where he's he's taking on odd jobs, but working primarily as a printer in local newspapers. And to think in the time the time period context, when, when you say he's traveling all over the country, and I still think in our current context right. in which it takes a few hours to get anywhere in the United States. Right. It and really the, does. Yeah, and, the, and this is the country, obviously, the country as it existed in 1853, Correct. too. So it's it's certainly not the country that we would associate with today. So when he's, when he's like, yeah, I'm traveling all over the country from Iowa to New York City to Philly, you're right. like, oh, my God, that's got to be... Yeah, it's pretty arduous. A- yeah. Absolutely, and he's on his own, um, which I don't think is really surprising at all. But you think of him as a writer. Um, Phil, when you think of Samuel Langhorne Clemens, when you think of Mark Twain, what, what are the things that come to your mind, though? I'm curious. Immediately, I think I think books. I think his his way with words. Mm-hmm. You know, there's Like the quote in the I, intro, right? The, the yeah. quote in the intro. And I, I honestly see that about you. There's, there's a certain quality that you have that's very Mark Twain. It, that uh, there's certain times I'll, I'll yeah I'll say something in class or want to say something and then you'll you'll chime in or you'll take over uh, um, uh, the audience with you know a certain level of of nomenclature that you use mm-hmm. and I'm like oh man that's really impressive well, you have a way with that. words so uh, I also think um, I think Huck Finn is probably yeah. the first thing that I think of other than the fact that he was just a great you know way with words. And you just got back from Disney this past summer. Sure did. There were references to Huckabee in there, right? All All over. So it's one of those stories that kind of transcends generations, transcends time. But if you think about, all right, early on, he gets his job as an apprentice in a newspaper. That kind of segues into his his literary lifestyle. Um, In 1857, he's traveling around. He ends up becoming an apprentice somewhere else. This time as a steamboat pilot on the Mississippi River, which, again, I think we, we associate him with writing, but writing about the Mississippi. The following year, 1858, he's employed on a boat called the Pennsylvania. And it's at this point he actually gets his younger brother, Henry, a job aboard the vessel. Samuel Clemens worked on the Pennsylvania until early June, early June of 1857. Then on June 13th, and we, we were talking about this before we went on the air, disaster struck when the Pennsylvania, traveling near Memphis, Tennessee, experienced a deadly boiler explosion. Among those who perished was 19-year-old Henry, his brother. Not only his brother, Phil, but the brother who he got the job for on the boat. Oh, my God. So there's a very strong level of guilt um, that Samuel Langhorne Clemens talks about his early career. That if he hadn't gotten him that job... Right. 
I mean, it's probably safe to say his brother would have lived well beyond 19 years. Oh, my God. So so dealing with the guilt, I wonder if that, that shows up in any of his writings later on. I, or, I would imagine, right? Or is it just the therapy of writing and getting, and getting that? It's kind of like a uh, little bit of solace, I guess yeah. you'd say, a little bit of peace. It's therapeutic for him. Very I, cathartic. I, I think yeah. that's good. So Samuel uh, Clemens was devastated, obviously, you know, as anyone would be by the incident, but got his pilot's license in 1859. I mean, he, his love for the Mississippi and his love for steamboats, you know, is, is something that he's not going to deny. And he works on steamboats into the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861. Now, in 1861, when the Civil War starts, commercial traffic along the Mississippi is actually halted. Oh, wow. Because you don't want that interaction between the North and the South, and, and, and we're afraid as to what supplies will be exchanged. By the way, this reminded me, Mississippi Mishap, Season 1, Episode 19. Right. The similarities are unbelievable here. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. So ch- check that out, listeners, if you haven't listened to Mississippi Mishap, Season 1, Episode 19. And I don't think these, these incidences were rare. I think these early steamboats, there were a lot of things that could go wrong, right. and they could go wrong catastrophically. But here's what I talked to, to Phil about before we went on the air that kind of blew my mind, and, and, and he didn't know about and I didn't know about either. But Clements's pen name, Mark Twain. I mean, is that just a random uh, name that he came up with, an obscure name? It actually comes from a term signifying two fathoms, which equate to 12 feet. And what that means is it's the safe depth of water for steamboats to travel just in. Unbelievable. So, so Mark Twain, who we associate with steamboats and, and the Mississippi River, you know, his, his pen name right there um, it is, is a reference to, you know, his love for, for anything and everything Mississippi. It's, it's like if you could choose your own name, you know, you, right. you could choose something that has some sort is of... Is relevant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Something that you're beloved, you know, something that you are passionate yeah. about. That's, yeah, it's incredible. So he goes from the newspaper, he goes to the Mississippi River for a brief period, but now the Civil War breaks out. Now, this is interesting, too. Twain actually briefly, briefly serves with a Confederate militia. In Mm. June of 1861, shortly after the Civil War began, uh, Clements is 25 years old. He joins the Marion Rangers, which is a pro-Confederate militia. Um, Again, this is where we're getting into facts I, I, I personally did not know. Although his family had owned a slave when he was a boy, he didn't have very strong ideological convictions about the war. He probably enlisted, you know, basically because he felt loyal to the South, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, some people did. I mean, they, it was, this was his area that he supported and grew up in. So, of course, he would side with them, even if he wasn't 100 percent, you know, backing of their platform. His time with the group turned out to, to be brief, you know, and after two weeks of conducting drills, uh, the Marion Rangers were very poorly uh, supplied. Um, and, and they disbanded upon hearing a rumor that a Union force led by a guy named Ulysses S. Grant uh, was headed their way. Oh, my God. They didn't have to fight Grant. At this point, they were like, oh, he's headed here? We're going to have to go up against him? That's good enough for us. No fight thanks. Fight or flight. Yeah, fight or flight. Perfect. The following month, Clemens left Missouri altogether. And essentially, he leaves the war behind. He journeys west with his brother, Orion. Uh, who he'd gotten the newspaper job from. He'd been named the, uh, the Territor- Territorial Secretary of Nevada. Hmm. And once there, Clemens tried his hand at silver mining. And then, after failing to strike it rich, like many other people, he took a job as a reporter with a Virginia City, Nevada newspaper in the fall of 1862. The following February, he'd used the, mark, the pen name Mark Twain for the first time. He, he'd kind of dabbled in some other pseudonyms, but um, he decided to settle on Mark Twain. Um, 
He becomes friends, oddly enough, with Ulysses S. Grant in 1885. And he publishes the former president's memoir, which became a bestseller and rescued Grant's widow from poverty after her husband lost most of their money to bad investments. So there's a nice local connection here, Phil, because just north of Saratoga, you have Grant's Cottage, where where he wrote a lot of these memoirs and essentially passed away. But just the, the odd roundabout of Grant kind of being the reason he's not in the military, not fighting in the Civil War, and he goes on to pen his memoirs. Again, I didn't realize that. Out of all of his resume of Huck Finn and Mark Twain, or um, Tom Sawyer, he'd penned uh, Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs, and it's really what what allowed Grant's widow um, to to survive beyond his death. Um, So in May of 1864, Twain challenged a rival Nevada newspaperman uh, with whom he was feuding to a duel. What? Right? We're not even getting to the Wait part a where second. he's. I know. <laughs> Jeez. This is. But fled before an actual fight took place. Probably not a bad idea. Supposedly to avoid being arrested for violating the territory's anti dueling law. All right? Twain from here headed even farther west. He headed to San Francisco where he got another job as a reporter. Uh, but soon grew very dis- kind of disenchanted with the work and eventually was fired there. Later that year, he posted bail for a friend who'd, be- who'd been arrested in a barroom brawl. And when the friend skipped town, Twain, who didn't have the funds to cover the bond, decided he sh- too should get out of San Francisco for a while and decided to travel to a mining cabin of a friend uh, of his. Now, this is right around the time where a lot of people are moving west. So this is kind of, it makes sense. Um, gold had been discovered uh, in 1849. We're in the 1860s, so people are still discovering gold. And uh, Twain still dabbling in writing, but really hasn't found his niche and really isn't able to support himself beyond a couple of months or maybe even a year. So he's still kind of this vagabond nomad just traveling from one area to the next. How old is he at this point? At this point, he's in his early 20s. Wow. And he just decides, you know what, I'll dabble in the gold mining and maybe I'll strike it rich. Which a lot of people, I mean, that wasn't uncommon, right. but for his life, my God. Absolutely. So while at a barn in a nearby town of Angel Falls in California, he heard a man tell a story about a jumping frog contest. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> when Twain returned to San Francisco in February of 1865, he received a letter from a writer friend in New York asking him if he could contribute a story to a book that his friend was putting together. Okay. All right, so he's, hey, I'd love to. I've, you know, I'm back to writing again. He decided to send a story based on the jumping frog tale he'd heard in the town in uh, Calaveras County. By the time he got around to finalizing it, the book had already been published. Ooh. So he has this great story that he really likes, but the book's already been published. As it happens, though, the book's publisher sent Twain's piece, entitled Jim Smiley and His Jumping Frog, to the Saturday Press the periodical The Saturday Press in New York, which ran the story on November 18, 1865. The humorous story turned out to be a huge smash with readers and was reprinted not just in New York but across the country, eventually being retitled The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the continued episode of the Missing Chapter Profile. Here's the second half for you guys. Now listen, Phil, you've done a great job outlining this uh, Mark Twain episode and some of the, I don't know, shadows that surround his life. Um, very, very eye-opening, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. A lot, of, a lot of which I never knew, and I hope that's the same for the listeners. When uh, we went to break, right before break, actually, I, I pulled up Mark Twain and some of the quotes. And I think for him, as we mentioned, his wording is unbelievable. And I, I, have, to, I have to mention some of these. Uh, for example, it is better, I love this one, it's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. There you go. <laughs> it's great. I know. It's, it's stating the obvious, but doing it in a very kind of tactful, poetic way. Right, right. Um, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Mm. That's amazing. That's a good one, yeah. The secret of getting ahead is getting started. Uh, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. I mean, come on. Any one of these would be good, good, but he's got one right after the next. Age is an issue of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I mean, these are just... Oh, and this one, this one's probably the most popular, I think. I've heard this all the time, but I never realized it was a Mark Twain quote. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah. Never realized that was Mark Twain. And I think, you know, the more you learn about his background, his his upbringing, his family, it, it... these are quotes that were created by a, a guy who traveled a lot. He experienced a lot. He, like you said, Phil, he had hardships in his life. Yeah. He, he overcame things. And I think it's it's also somebody who's just very uh, aware of his surroundings, and it's a commentary on who he met, what he saw, and what he experienced. Yeah, agreed. I'm going to tell you guys, uh, our listeners, a lot of what – excuse me, a lot of what um, – you know, I, I based my research on was was out of the history.com website, eight things you may not know about Mark Twain. And I, I kind of picked and chose what I wanted to share. But if that's something, if you're interested in, enjoy what you've uh, heard on today's episode, I would definitely uh, recommend that you te- check out the Elizabeth Nix article uh, from uh, September 11th, 2023, um, because there are some other things uh, that I think you know, you, you would definitely find interesting. But I want to talk uh, a little bit about really the, the characters that Mark Twain became renowned for, specifically, you know, Huck Finn, um, you know, it, which came out in 1876, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Uh, that's where Huck Finn made his, his literary debut, debut um, as Tom Sawyer's sidekick. Um, Mark Twain, and I'm not sure if, if authors would do this today, but he actually did acknowledge in his, in his autobiography a couple of years after that book who Huck Finn was based around. I didn't realize hmm. it was based around an actual living person. Um, and, and Mark Twain himself said the model for Huck Finn was a, a, a guy by the name of Tom Blankenship, who um, was a boy four years older than Twain, whom he knew growing up in Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, his, his family was poor. His father was a laborer, had a reputation as a town drunk. But um, Twain described him in the autobiography, quote, he was ignorant, unwashed, insufficiently fed Jeez. but he had as good a heart as ever any boy had so i mean it, it's it's being honest but i'm not yeah. sure if that's something that you would see much of today where you're openly acknowledging someone by first and last name you know and not really portraying them in a great light although that figure has kind of gone down in, in american lore 
Um, you know, obviously, uh, Mark Twain hasn't been completely devoid of controversy. You know, the language in his books, although, yeah. you know, accurate for the time, has been uh, something of a, of a debate. Um, you know, in, in even in recent years, one of the things, um, he's, he was obviously good at doing a lot of different things. Being a good businessman, uh, Phil, was not one. He, um, he lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in various um, capitalistic ventures that, that never panned out. Hmm. Um, and I guess hindsight's twenty twenty when it comes to what you don't invest in as much as it is what you do invest in. And the reason I mention that, he was offered the chance to invest in a new invention um, that a, a gentleman asked him to, uh, to invest in that he reportedly turned down because he didn't think it would really uh, amount to much, and that was the telephone oh. by Alexander Graham Bell. So, yeah, I guess in hindsight, you know, that, that might have been something you want to um, invest in. If we went back and someone said, hey, would you want to invest in Microsoft? Yeah. Yeah, that's yes. one of those ventures. Yes, yes please. Yes. Um, you know, the other thing uh, that I think is interesting is Mark Twain has no living direct descendants. And I was... Really? Yeah, kind of walking uh, walking through that before we uh, came back from break. But in 1870, uh, Clemens married Olivia, married Olivia Langdon, who was raised in an abolitionist family not too far from us, actually, the, the local tie to Elmira, New York. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, the couple was introduced by Olivia's younger brother, uh, who'd met Samuel uh, during a voyage to Europe. Um, the Clemenses had four children including a son who passed away as a toddler and two daughters who passed away in their 20s. Uh, his wife, Olivia, died in 1904 at age 58. Jeez. And Mark Twain eventually passed away. Uh, his his, um, his uh, health had been declining for a number of months before he succumbed uh, to, to various ailments at the age of 74 in Redding, Connecticut. And their, their surviving child, Clara, Passed away in 1962 at age 88. Uh, Clara had one child, Nina, who passed away in 1966. And she herself had been childless. So the direct descendant line ended with Nina uh, for Samuel Clemens today. Wow. So he has no direct descendants. Just a little bit sad commentary, footnote to all of that. But um, again, if we go back to you know the, the profiles that we're going to you know, be doing more of on this show, I, I like the idea... You probably know the person for an event or something that they accomplished, something that they did, good or bad. But knowing the backstory to it, I think, makes you appreciate it and understand it a little bit more. 100% agreed. Now, remind me, you mentioned Connecticut. Isn't the Twain House in Connecticut? I, it, did I see that in passing somewhere? So, Reading, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Let me do a quick Google search here. I'm almost Reading, I'm Connecticut. Almost the Twain House. Mark Twain House. Um, I believe it is. It would make sense, right? A state where Mark Twain died is for sale. Well, this was in 2022. That's and great. it was up for $3.9 million if oh. anyone was interested. I wonder if anyone bought it. It's probably worth more than that today. But, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so Hartford, for a, Connecticut, yeah. So for a, a gentleman who was born in Missouri, spent a good portion of his early years in Missouri— is renowned for his books that, for the most part, took place in the Mississippi, kind of the Bayou region. You know, he married a woman from New York, and he passed away in Connecticut. It had a nice connection to a U.S. president. And again, almost like a Forrest Gump 
yeah. sort of early years leading up to before he became predominantly just his writing, writing career. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks. <laughs>